Amen. All right, Triad Baptist Church. How many were at the Tim Hawkins thing on Friday night? All right, good, good crowd of you. I was looking up there. Maybe the deacons are smoking out back. Who knows? He told me before the service, said those, that's not a smoke machine. Those deacons are catching the smoke out there and sending it out. Oh, that was, he was funny. He was funny. That was good. I hope you enjoyed that. We uh, decided to have him. We got some more great concerts coming up uh, in the next few months as well. So I think you'll be excited about some of those. I don't want to announce them too early. I don't know if we've got it all finalized, but uh, we're excited about what else we can offer here at Triad, and we love, love to do that. Take your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark chapter 2. We're in a series in the book of Mark entitled, I forget what it's entitled, uh, but it's a good one, it's a good one. Join the journey, join the journey, all right? Uh, join the journey is a travel through the book of Mark and looking at what it means to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ and what that implies for your life and what it's going to really cost you to be one of his disciples. I've entitled the message today, the, a church that raises, R-A-Z-E-S, raises the roof. And uh, this is a wonderful passage of scripture, and I want to let you know that as I begin this message, I want to be a church that raises the roof, okay? And I want us to be a church that raises the roof. All right, let's stand together. We're going to read verses, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 in Mark. <clears throat> When he had come to, back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get him to, the, to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up immediately, picked up the pallet, and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. You may be seated. Now, I love this story. It's, it's a story, if you've been in church ever since you were a kid, you heard it all the time because it's one of those powerful little stories that you love to hear. And you, and you think about these four guys bringing this paralytic, this paralyzed, paralyzed guy to the church service in Peter's house, and uh, they're hoping to get him to Jesus. They got, they got this cooperation with themselves. Hey, we can get up, up there on the roof. They got this commitment. We can do it. We know we can do it. And they've got this courage to do it in front of the whole crowd. And uh, those are wonderful things to think about when you think about it. But that's really not the point of the story. The point of the story is much deeper than that. And that's why it's included in the book of Mark. Because Mark's got this pathway that he's following and trying to prove to you. And so it is an unusual uh, story from several perspectives. But it's really about Jesus 
taking this miracle and causing a ruckus in the town and stirring up the town and getting everybody upset, especially the religious leaders, the scribes. And they're going to hate him from this day forward because they're going to want to kill him. And so Jesus does that on purpose. He stirs up the crowd, and I think, I think my uh, agenda will be to say that I think he's trying to get us motivated to do something and try something big for Christ. Okay, so I want to demonstrate that to you this morning because I believe this with all my heart. God doesn't just want to fill you with his spirit and put his spirit to live in you. But a lot of Christians just live their life that way. Yep, the spirit of God's in me. I receive Christ as my savior and there he is down living inside of me. But the truth of the matter is what God really wants to do is he wants the Holy Spirit to be released through you in a powerful way. That's what I want to talk about today, is how do you release the Holy Spirit in a powerful way in your life? And that's really what the, the uh, passage is trying to accomplish today. So there are four questions to ask yourself to determine if you are confident in the person and work of Christ. I appreciate them fixing that. It said five questions because I forgot to change it on my PowerPoint, and it said five questions last time, so they got four. So this will be a shorter message today. Four questions, all right? Here we go. Question number one, are you committed to overcoming obstacles to get people to Jesus? Now, let me set the context, the bigger context for this story, okay? So you see it in terms of the whole book of Mark. Mark arranges five conflicts in his book. This is the first of the series of five conflicts. And this conflict is going to answer the question, can Jesus forgive sin? And this conflict is going to begin to stir up the people, and it's going to incite them to want to kill him. Which is amazing to me that he would even do that, and that was what his ministry was about, to get to a cross. And so he's going to use these five conflicts. Now, why five? Because five is the number for completeness. You see my hand, five fingers. I've got a complete hand. If you cut off my thumb, I wouldn't have a complete hand anymore. It'd be incomplete. They cut off the thumbs and people in the Old Testament so that they couldn't fight or pick up a sword. So now they're incomplete. The whole point of being complete is that you could grasp something. You need all your fingers to grasp and your thumb to grasp something. And so when you see the number five used by Mark, he's saying... I want you to grasp some things about Jesus as God. And I want you to come to that place of surrender to him on this journey. And so for you to grasp it, he puts five stories of conflict in the book. It's fascinating to see, and I'll tell you more about that as we go along. And this is the first conflict. And in this conflict, it brought opposition, antagonism, and rebuke. Jesus is saying, you want to join me on the journey? You want to be my disciple? You want to follow me? Then I promise you, if you follow me any length of time, you're going to face persecution, opposition, and rebuke. Because you're going to go after me in such a way that just like I experienced, you're going to experience. You're going to experience when you start fighting for the unborn, when you start fighting this culture, when you start standing up and say, that's not what the Word of God says. I'll tell you what, somebody's coming at you. Somebody is coming at you, and that's what Jesus is saying. To join the journey with me as a disciple is going to bring you these things in your life. All right? So that's the first thing I want you to understand in the background of it. And then the other context marker is this, and this should be very clear as I get into this, the priority of the preaching of the word. The whole reason this happened is there in verse 2. It says, and he was speaking the word to them. 
You don't want to miss that. That looks like a little phrase, but it's so important to understand in the bigger picture because what's going on here is Jesus sneaks in late at night. He needs a break from his ministry. So he returns to Peter's house where he's kind of staying as an itinerant preacher. Sneaks in late at night. Nobody knows he's there. The next day when everybody gets up, people start figuring it out. Maybe they see Jesus at Costco. He's, he's back. And so they start texting everybody. He's back. He's back. Jesus is back. I saw him at Costco. What was he doing? He was turning the wine to water. He was a Baptist preacher, by the way. And so he was, he was doing all these wonderful things. And so they start to rush to his house. Last time they gathered at the door. This time they go in the house. And everybody gets as many people as they could in the house. At best, you could get 50 to 75 people in a house in that day uh, if you had them like sardines in there. You got them hanging on the window seals. You got them outside the door. You got them in the parking lot. You got them all over the place trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And the Bible says he's preaching the word. That's amazing right there. You, you don't want to miss that. What's he doing? He's explaining the gospel. He's saying one little message, repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's his whole message of the gospel. First and foremost, Jesus wanted to teach them. Now, I can't emphasize this enough because I want you to understand they tended to see him as a miracle worker who sometimes preaches, but he wanted to see them, him as a preacher who sometimes does miracles. And they had a hard time with that because what Jesus knew is if I give you a healing, that won't get you to heaven. But if I preach the word to you, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, I can get you to heaven that way. So you know, it was far more important to preach because when I think of all the things Jesus could have done to impress people, to gather people, I mean, when I think of if I wanted to impress people and I had all these resources at my fingertips, I would have some kind of great, incredible Oshkosh air show. And I wouldn't just bring the, the blue angels in. I'd bring in real angels and I'd have them do barrel rolls and I'd have them do flies. And I'd, I'd have people so impressed they would gather and they'd want to be to see everything Jesus is doing. And Jesus didn't want to do any of those resources that he had at his fingertip. The one thing he wanted to do was teach the word. That's what will change your heart. The word. The word. It's so important, and I want you to see that. So that's why Mark uh, is, is spending so much time. He says it so many times in his book. He spent so much time for Jesus to unpack the word because miracles simply pointed him to Jesus, then he preached the word. But don't ever get that backwards because, after all, healing won't get you to heaven. I know you want a healing, but it won't get you to heaven. And that's very important to understand. Now, um, having said that then, these four guys, when the house is packed, these four guys come bringing a paralyzed man, and they carry him on this kind of this makeshift stretcher, all right? And these four guys had compassion on their buddy. Maybe they didn't get in the last ring of miracles that were done by Jesus, and so they thought to themselves, man, we should have got our buddy over to Jesus, and I know he could have done something if we could have got him there. And so they come to the house, and, and, and can you imagine, by the way, if you're the paralytic? And maybe your heart's just pounding a little bit there thinking, what if it could really happen? What if I could walk again? Had to be an amazing thing. But they come to the house with their paralytic friend on the stretcher, and something sad happens. The crowd gets in the way. The crowd gets in the way. 
excuse me, pardon me, we, we got a guy here who's paralyzed, we want to get him to Jesus. You and everybody's brother, pal, just stand in line. And the crowd won't let them get in near to Jesus. And so they're thinking this through in their mind, and they're trying everything they know, but the crowd becomes an obstacle to get people to Jesus. Now let that sink in your mind, okay? The crowd becomes the obstacle. So one of, the, one of his friends looks over the crowded situation and says, I wonder what we could do here. He just starts thinking and looking over the situation. He spies a ladder on the side of the house. They built their house, houses with flat roofs. And he thinks to himself, uh, maybe, just maybe, we could go up that ladder with our buddy, pull him up by the stre- get him up by the stretcher, get him there, and we can dismantle the roof, and we can let him down through the middle of the roof. Now, in those days on their flat roofs, here's how they built them. They would take timber trusses, and they would spread them across the roof. Then they would come back with these hard baked tiles, and then they would spread them over the trusses. So you'd have these hard baked clay tiles, and then on top of that, you'd put thatched leaves and thatched things that would give it uh, a protection from the sun. And then on top of that, you would put dirt. You'd put as much dirt as you could because it kept the house cool. That's how they built the roofs in those days. I've been in some of those that have been reconstructed for a person to understand that. And so it's an amazing thing. And so that's why the Bible says they dug a hole, because they had to dig out the hole through the dirt. And that's one thing to understand there, okay? Now, now as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about these five guys, the one on the stretcher and the other four guys. Which one of them came up with the idea? That's one thing that hit me as I was thinking about this text. You think it was the paralytic? I doubt it. He said, you want to do what? You want to take me in a stretcher up to the top of the roof? You want to cut out the roof? Then you want to let me down through the stretcher? What happens if I fall? (laughs) What's the worst that could happen to you? I could die. I mean, I may be paralyzed, but I don't want to be dead yet. I mean, can you just kind of see the intensity of this situation for that paralytic and for these four guys to come up with this idea. But through their cunning and imagination, they came up with a solution to get their buddy to Jesus. Have there ever been obstacles, the crowd, for example, that has kept you from getting your friend to Jesus? Has there been things or obstacles that have kept you from making an effort to get people to Jesus? The truth is, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay, sometimes we give up so easy. Do you know, I've invited everyone on my street to come to church. I've talked to everyone I've shared the gospel with, Rodney, Kurt, everyone on my street. Now, they're, they're not easy to get Jesus. Sometimes I say, hey, why don't you come to church this Sunday? Mm, I can't. You know what I'll say? Okay, no problem. Sometimes I just give up right there. But I've never, never really thought at this level to brainstorm past just inviting him or talking to him about Jesus. Now, now I'm telling you, my first thought to you is, what are the obstacles, what is the crowd that keeps you from getting people to Jesus? Because you see, I think, that, I think a lot of times we don't even think about this because we've got so many other things on our mind got so many other things taking up our time and our space, and I just want you to think about this this morning with a friend, with a neighbor, with a co-worker, with someone that you could work in their heart and let your imagination roll, okay, and just brainstorm about it, okay? That leads me to point two. 
Are you passionate enough to take a risk? Are you passionate enough to take a risk? These guys were determined. It took courage to get their friend to Jesus. I mean, they're going to cut the roof out. They're going to dig out the dirt. I mean, when they got there, they didn't bring a shovel. That wasn't even in their mind. They had to use Peter's shovel. It's his house. I don't even know if they asked Peter. I bet they didn't ask his wife. What are they doing? They're ruining my pagonias up there. I mean, can you imagine this as you think about what they tried to do? And their thought is, we'll dig a hole in the center where Jesus is, and we'll drop him right down in the center in front of his preaching. I mean, they interrupted Jesus' preaching. Now, I've been interrupted in services here before. We've had the fire alarm go off. That ended the whole service because half of you left. All right, the fire alarm went off. Well, yeah, we'll never get that settled because it takes 30 minutes to get the team over here to figure out there's no fire in there that some kid pulled the alarm, which has happened twice. All right, so I'm always nervous about that as a pastor to get interrupted in the service or someone has passed out. We've had people pass out. You've been here and maybe you've experienced that. It stops the whole service, doesn't it? See, there's something about being interrupted that these guys took a risk to interrupt Jesus' preaching. <laughs> I, I've thought about this, and I thought about this, this plan. Uh, they, they used Peter's shovel, they got up the nerve, and they said, let's just start digging. Okay, now I want you to think this through. Have you ever been this passionate to get anybody to Jesus? Have you ever been this convinced that if I could just get my friend to Jesus, I have enough confidence to get him there that Jesus will do something if I can get him to Jesus. That's a great combination. Confidence to get him there and confidence in Jesus. If I could just figure out a way to get him there, I know Jesus can do something. That's, that's powerful to get your heart and your mind there. I'm telling you, as I thought of this, this is so bold. This is so powerful. What length would you go to to get your friend, your coworker, someone you know, to Jesus? Would you do something like this? I mean, would you tear a hole in the roof right while, you're, while Jesus is preaching? I, I, I'm just amazed at this. So right now, would you stop right now? And what I'd like you to do is I would like you to get a friend in your mind right now. Just get a friend you know is not saved. Say, what can I do? What can I do to get up to Jesus? What can I do to get that neighbor? See, we don't think like this. We don't put our mind, our heart here. But I'm telling you, there's quite an imagination going on here. There's quite an effort that they're going to get this guy to Jesus. I have a neighbor right now that's been on my heart and my mind. He's halfway up the street. He's a contractor. And he got hurt a couple weeks ago. I went over to visit him and just said, hey, man, I heard you got hurt. Just wanted to check on you, make sure you're okay. Picked up conversations. I've invited him to church before. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. He didn't want to have anything to do with it now. But I thought, hey, what would he mind if I just cut a hole in his roof to get him to Jesus? I mean, he's a contractor. He can fix it himself. I mean, just think how crazy that sounds. How crazy that sounds. How passionate that sounds how powerful that sounds wow i have thought of this i don't know how to explain this to you but i'm convicted over it i don't know if i'd ever thought of splitting the roof open to get someone to jesus 
I, don't, I can't think of anything in my mind. I mean, what I'm saying to you is what confidence these people had in the person and work of Christ. What conviction, what passion, and I want that. I want it to go beyond, oh, you don't want to go to church this Sunday? Okay, that's fine. I want you there. I want your heart there. I want your mind there. I want you to give thought to this. This is powerful, powerful. Okay, number three, let's go on. Do you have faith? Do you have a faith that Jesus can see? Do you have a faith that Jesus can see? The Bible says in verse 5, and Jesus, seeing their faith, <laughs> said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I love this. I love the fact that he's watching this, and so is the crowd. I'm sure the crowd's thinking, who does that? Who cuts a roof out to get someone to Jesus? I'm sure Peter's wife is not too happy. How about Peter's mother-in-law? She lives in the house, too. What kind of, what kind of husband are you? Look at him. Cutting your house up? You've ruined this place. I mean, can you just imagine Peter's wife, Peter's mother-in-law? Peter, hey, nobody asked me if he could even do it. It's your house. We, we don't know, but I'm just saying, and the crowd, everybody's probably thinking something, but you have to wonder, what is Jesus thinking? Because it doesn't matter what the crowd's thinking. It doesn't matter what Peter's thinking. It doesn't matter what Peter's wife's thinking. It doesn't matter what Peter's mother-in-law is thinking. What matters is what Jesus is thinking. And as he's preaching away and dirt starts to hit Jesus in the eye as he's preaching and a piece of dirt lands on his lip and there he is and everybody, nobody's watching the preacher anymore. They're all just staring straight up at the roof. And they see him dismantling the roof, digging out a hole, and then they let this paralytic down right in front of Jesus. I am convinced in my heart that what Jesus was thinking is, this is wonderful. He interrupted the whole service, and Jesus, I'm, I can't prove this to you, but I'm sure of it, that he had this huge grin on his face. Because of the length they would go to to get their buddy to Jesus. Huge, huge smile on his face, and he's thrilled that they would do that, and that's why it says, when he saw their faith, this changed everything in the story, when he saw their faith. Now, I don't believe it was just the four guys' faith. I think it was also the paralyzed guy's faith because he was the one who had to come down in the stretcher and be dropped down in the middle. So it's all of their faith. All five of them had this kind of faith. And he saw their faith. Now, I just want to make a little point of this, okay? Did you know your faith is visible to God by what you do? Your faith is visible to God by what you do. Sometimes you just got to step back and say, what did I do this week where my faith was visible? To God and to others. Just, it's a simple thought, but it's a thought I want you to think about. What did you do this week that was visible to show your faith? What did you do? James says this over and over. Man, if you don't have that, you don't have faith. Your faith is shown by your works. Okay, so it's just a simple question, but your actions demonstrate your faith in the person and work of God. Now, have people seen your faith this week? Or is it something you just got down in here? See, Jesus wants to see it. He wants you to show people it. 
He loves that. He saw their faith, all right? Let's go on. Number four, do you have the patience to not jump to premature conclusions? Do you have the patience not to jump to premature conclusions? Okay, so when he saw their faith, verse 5, he said to the paralytic, he said to that paralyzed guy, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why don't you say this? Nobody saw that coming because Jesus has never done this. It's the only time he does it in this particular healing. The rest of the times he just says, be healed. I see your faith, be healed. But not this time. This time he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the thing I'm thinking if I'm one of those four guys peering my head through the roof. Your sins are forgiven? Okay, that's great, but we didn't put the guy down through the roof to get a forgiveness. We, we didn't do penance here. We're, we're looking for a healing, Jesus. We're looking for a little more. And, and I'm sure the paralytic was the same way. My sins are forgiven? Great. Oh, that's great. My sins are forgiven. But what about I can't walk? I'm paralyzed. See, there's going to have to be a patience here in how God works, and they're going to have to develop this patience to trust him for this moment. Your sins are forgiven. But it was because of their faith. Their faith, all five of them. All five of them, because of their faith, Jesus did something completely different. This time, he decides to meet this man's greatest need. And not meet the lesser need, healing. And he wants everyone to know that, that the greatest need this man has and the greatest need everyone has is their guilt, their sin. It's greater than healing. And so Jesus is actually going to give them their greatest need to have forgiveness of sin. And that's the first thought I have about this. Our sin is the biggest problem we have. I know we think, man, if I could be healed of this or this could be taken care of in my life or if, or if God could just remove this from me. But the truth of the matter is our greatest and biggest problem is our sin. So let me just, let me develop this a little, okay, for you. Um, no matter how bad your life is right now, no matter how bad your life is right now, the truth is if you don't know Jesus the real thing to worry about is your sin problem. That's, that's the biggest problem you got right now if you don't know Jesus. That's so important to say that to you because our sin separates us from God. And the truth of the matter is, if we're separated from God by our sin and we die in that state, we're separated forever. Forever. So it's the greatest need you got is to take care of that sin. That's, that's your greatest need. I say, no, pre I know that preacher. Okay, so, so that's good. And I'm saved, so I got my greatest need taken care of. Now how about my healing? I got, I got my greatest need taken care of. But let me say this to you, because I'm going to say this to everyone in here who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you forget everything else I say in this message, don't forget this, Okay? I wrote it down because I think it's probably the most important thing I could say for you to you. Even if Jesus never did another thing for you, if he never healed you, 
if he never cared for you, if he never listened to you, if he didn't think about you, even if Jesus never did another thing for you from this day forward, he took care of your greatest need. Let that sink in. How important that is. So to confess our sins, to believe that Jesus Christ saved us, to believe he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again, that if I would confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And that's the truth of the scripture. But the truth of the matter is, he really doesn't have to do anything else for you. And you'll be okay. Don't get mad at him when he didn't heal you. Don't get mad at him when he didn't do that or he did this or he took your took this from you, just stop and think for a minute. If he didn't do anything else for you, he took care of your greatest need if you're saved. That, that is so central to this passage, and that's why it's included here for us, and it's, it's an amazing thing. So to just confess our sins and believe him, that's great. If he didn't do anything else, that's great too. But now we all know the truth. He does do more for us. Sometimes he heals us, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he has things work out in our life, sometimes he doesn't. But I'm telling you, even if all those things went flat for you, just step back and say, you know what? I still have enough faith to believe he did the greatest thing for me, and if he didn't do another thing for me, it's okay. That's, that, that comes with a great level of faith. And so he met this man's greatest need. Now, that's the first thought I want you to get here. The second reason, contextually, he does not heal him first. That's why he reverses the miracle. He doesn't heal him first here. He says, your sins are forgiven. Is because he knows there's spies in the audience. There's spies there, and he knows it. He knows there's scribes sent up from Jerusalem's headquarters. Corporate sent them. Corporate sent the spies to check out Jesus because there's a lot of fame about that guy. Check him out. I want to hear his teaching. So they send up the scribes, and the scribes you'd know by your dress, your position, your demeanor. Everybody would know who the scribes were because they were the rule keepers. They were the ones in charge of the law. They were the ones who ran people's lives, and people felt guilty around them. People felt intimidated by them, and so they knew they were in the house, and Jesus knew they were in the house. He knew spies were there checking them out. Okay, that's, that's, that's what you want to understand here. And the scribes were furious. What does the Bible say? Some of the scribes, verse 6, were sitting there and reasoning in, this, in their hearts. Now, they didn't say anything. Okay, this is the first time you see an inter, interaction with, with the uh, persecution of Jesus. They say, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're furious, and they're thinking to themselves, only God the Father can forgive sin. They so believed that thought, they didn't even believe when the Messiah came, he could forgive sin. Only God the Father could forgive sin. What's this man doing? This man doing, which is the question from Mark chapter 1 to chapter 9. Who is this man? Who is this man that thinks he can forgive sin? That's the point. He's either God or he's an imposter. If he's an imposter, then stone him. It's a capital offense. He should die. Well, if he's not God, then stone him. If Jesus is wrong and the scribes are right, then stone him. But if Jesus is right and Jesus is God, 
They just made a fatal mistake in their reasoning. And by the way, that's what people do when they come to church. Some people come to church unsafe. They're not going to believe, and they're questioning everything. I don't know if I'm putting my faith in Christ. I don't know if it's all. What if it is all big pipe dream? Oh, you're just going to trust God, and that's it? See, and they're already in their mind. I'm telling you, that's fatal reasoning. That's the kind of reasoning that sent scribes to hell. Now, is it natural to have that in your heart? Yes, I think at times what God is saying, just keep, keep questioning, keep thinking it through, but don't give up pursuing it because you don't want to make the fatal mistake of reasoning in your heart that Jesus is not God. That's what I would say to you right now. I don't know where you're at in that, but Jesus wants you to know him, and I know that's the truth of the scriptures. Okay, let's look at verse 7. Or verse 8, immediately, okay, let me just translate that for you now, intentionally, that's the way immediately should be translated through the whole book of Mark, intentionally, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? Now, there's a couple things I want to say. You see, it's this Jesus said in his spirit, uh, you might even have a footnote by that word in. In the original language, it's not in, the, in his spirit, it's by the spirit. In other words, Jesus whispered, or the Holy Spirit whispered to Jesus. Some of the scribes are reasoning right now in their heart, and Jesus, I want you to know, they're trash talking you. They're trash talking you. They want to kill you. And I'm just going to let you know that, Jesus, because remember, when the Spirit came on Jesus, it was always the Spirit that revealed those things to him because Jesus had laid aside his abilities to know some things as God, as the God-man. And so the Spirit of God whispers to him and literally basically says, I'm reading their minds right now, and Jesus, now I'm going to give you the ability to do that. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus reads minds. Jesus reads minds. That's kind of spooky sometimes because Jesus knows my thoughts, and I like it when nobody knows my thoughts sometimes, okay? But Jesus always knows what I'm thinking, and he knows my thoughts, and he knows if I'm trash-talking someone. He knows what I'm thinking about someone. He knows, and he knows because the Spirit of God has told him. So he confronts him on it. He says to him, which is easier, to say be healed or to say your sins are forgiven? Now, let me ask you first. You're in the 21st century. I would tell you first, the first answer should be, that's pretty much hard for any of us to say either one of them. Your sins are forgiven or be healed. Okay, that's 21st century thinking. It'd be hard for us to do that. But if we thought about it logically in our hearts, the truth, this is the conclusion you should come to. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven than it is to say be healed. Because if you say your sins are forgiven, how do you really know if you healed them? There's no way to tell because it's hidden, it's invisible. So if I say to you, your sins are forgiven, you don't know if they are or not because it's hidden. It's down inside a person. You can't see any physical outward sign of that. But if I say to you, be healed, and you can't get up off the stretcher, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. And so it's easier to say, be healed. I mean, excuse me, your sins are forgiven than it is to say, be healed. Because if I say be healed, i got to prove it. There's an outward sign. you got to get up and walk. And so Jesus says in verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Let's just stop there and look at that word authority. I've preached it to you before, and I want you to see it. That is exousia. That was that Greek word I told you about, and it means this, so you get it. That you may know that I have an otherworldly power. That you may know that I have an otherworldly wisdom. That you may know that my power is beyond this universe. That you may know I have the power to forgive sins. I'm now going to prove it to you visibly by healing this man. So I'm going to heal this man because I'm God and I can forgive sins. I'm God in the flesh and I can say to a man, I forgive you of your sins and I can say to a man, be healed. And now I'll prove it to you. Now what, what's going on here? So you get this. I want you to get this. Um, basically, Jesus is saying this, let me do the thing you can see so that maybe you'll believe the thing you can't see. Let me do the thing you can see, healing, so you'll believe maybe the thing you can't see, that I'm God. I'm God in the flesh. That's what I'm hoping you really see. It's not about the miracle. The miracle is just hoping it'll point you to see that I'm really God in the flesh, and I can forgive sins if I want to. That's really what's going on here in this passage. And so uh, Jesus looks at the paralytic and does exactly what he said. Okay, watch what I can do visibly. Get up, don't leave your mat there, and go home. And the man gets up, and he takes his mat. Now, can you imagine if you're the four buddies, you've waited patiently for this? You were more concerned about the healing, but now you're experiencing the fact that you can see a visible thing, but it's really pointing you to an invisible thing, that God is God of the flesh, Jesus Christ. And he can forgive sins if, you, if he chooses to. That's, that's really what's going on, so that they get this picture. And, and I want to say it one more time, because I, I just think it's a great thing that, that when you see this, Jesus did the thing they could see, so their faith would grow to believe the things they could not see. This is God in the flesh who forgives sins. I can just see that guy getting up. He gets up. He's paralyzed. Now, he, now he's got full use of his body, and he does exactly what Jesus said. He picks up his mat. Excuse me. Excuse me. I, I'm going to be going home right now. Okay. Sorry about the hole in the roof, but I got to go. Jesus said I got to go. Because you see him taking off. He just takes off and leaves the house. And all of them are there to decide, is he just the healer? Or really is the more important part the preaching. That maybe sometimes God does things in my life visibly so I can get to a greater point where I see him as God in the flesh who's come to save me and he can do whatever he wants in my life. That's really what God is after. And that's why the Bible says they all glorified him. And they said, we've never seen anything like this before. That's the truth, because they've never seen God in the flesh. He's saying, I am God. I forgive sins and I heal. I do whatever I want. And that's the point of that story. Now, I'm going to say two things. I'm going to close. Okay, number one, every healing is a picture of the gospel. So you got to get this, okay? So I, I didn't really develop this much, but I want you to see this in my conclusion the paralytic is a visual representation of being dead. He's a visual representation of being dead. And only Jesus can say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, get up. One day, 
you're going to die. And when you go into that grave, you're going to be like a paralyzed man. You can't move. You can't do anything. But if you put your faith in Jesus, if you trust him as your Lord and Savior, if you repented of your sins, if you said with my mouth I'll confess the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God hath raised from the dead, I'm saved. One day, Jesus is going to say to you as a paralytic when you're dead, get up. And you're going to get up because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the paralytic. And that's the whole point for us today. Let me say one more thing and I'm done now. Second thing I want to say. Your proximity to Jesus doesn't make a difference. Your proximity to Jesus doesn't make a difference. Now I want you to get this one real good, okay? There's one room and you got Jesus, you got the crowd, you got the paralytic, you got the four friends, and you got the scribes. All of them there in the same room at arm lengths from Jesus. Jesus is right there in the room with them, and some still didn't believe. Some still didn't believe, which then made me realize some are here right now, and they don't believe. They will not repent of their sin. They love their sin. They like their sin. Right? They're not sick of their sin yet, and they're going to hold on to their sin, and they're not going to repent, and they're not going to believe because they know the cost. The cost is I have to give up some things in my life, and that's tough, and I'm not ready to do that. See, so they're in the room. They're in a church. They're hearing Jesus preach. They're around Jesus, but they're not going to believe. Some of you have been raised up in a Christian home. You're around Jesus all the time, but you're not going to believe. Some of you had a godly mother who believes with all her heart, but you're not going to believe. You're not going to believe. You're going to walk out in unbelief. So I'm saying to you, being in a church or around a Christian home or bringing around a mom who was serious about her walk in faith doesn't negate the fact you, you have to still believe him personally. You have to believe him personally. You don't get in just because you were around Jesus. And you don't get in just because you had a Christian home. There has to be repentance and faith. Okay? We've had two people saved in the last two weeks. By the way, we had our first deaf person saved last week since we started our deaf ministry. That's incredible. Number two, we had another person saved, came to me and said, they came to me and they said, I've been around church all my life. I've been around it in high school. I've been around it in college in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I've been around it all my life. I was always around it. But he said to me two weeks ago, but I've never made a personal decision to receive Christ. And I said, you want to do that right now? He said, yes, I do. Because it has to be personal. The conviction will be personal and the belief will be personal. And you'll say, that's me, man. I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus. I confess it with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. You raised him from the dead. I trust him as my Lord and Savior. That's why it has to be so personal. And that's why I think this story is in the Bible.
Let's pray. Just with heads bowed, eyes closed, the praise team's going to sing for us. And I, I, Just as I sing this closing song, it's a simple song. You're very familiar with it, but we love it. Devin and I were talking about it this week. I'm asking God to bear this truth upon your hearts. First of all, if you're here and you've never been saved, it's never been personal. You've never made that decision. You've been around it all your life, but you need to receive Jesus. God's dealing with you. He's bearing his heart upon you. He's convicting you. He's drawing you. It's a beautiful thing. But conviction hurts sometimes because you know you're guilty and your sin deserves judgment. But he said, I want to save you. I want to save you. I don't want to heal you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to care for you right now. I want to save you. If that's you this morning, by uplifted hand, would you say, Pastor Rob, I need that prayer of salvation right now. Would you lift up your hand? Just so I could see it, stick it straight up. I don't want to assume anything in this crowd, but you would say, you know, it's never been personal to me, but I need to make this personal right now. Lift it up, because I'm not going to, I'm not seeing one right now. And I'm not going to force it. Okay, I didn't, see, I didn't see any hands. And if you did, come see me after, because I apologize, I can't see your hand. But let me say this then to everyone in this room. All right? I want to be a church that raises the roof. I want us to have a creativity, a brainstorm to get past all the things that we got our heart on right now. And just to think, get someone on your mind and say, God, help me. Help me to see how I could reach them because I know God. If I could get them to you, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be good. Help me to figure out how to get them to you. Give me a passion. Give me creativity. Help me to know how to dig a hole in the roof. For your glory. I promise you this, he'll smile at that. He'll smile at that every time. Father, I pray for this time, your word, to draw us back, not just to have the Spirit living in us, but to release the power of the Holy Spirit through us. Do that, Father. Do it in each one of us. Do it in me. Pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.